And uh, we're going to read from Ephesians and chapter 3. And I want to read both the NIV version of this and the message version as well. Hence the really heavy Bible that keeps making the uh, lectern go down, which is a sort of, um, it's, it's, a, it's one of those dual message NIVs. And uh, I know some people don't like the message version, but I love reading it alongside another version because it almost acts as a commentary. And I would encourage you to do that if you've never done it before. So Ephesians chapter 3, reading from verse 7. This is the NIV version. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the message version. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise. God handing me all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw, saw to it that I was equipped. But you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out into the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for its power. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Challenge us. Instruct us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I had the privilege a few weeks ago of celebrating uh, with uh, Hermian and Karis her 18th birthday. And we went to London and we saw a show. And it was brilliant. We went to see Les Mis. And uh, I don't like musicals. Uh, I've never liked musicals, really. But I was blown away and uh, want to see it again sometime. And as we left the theater and, and, and went down into the underground and everything, it was really great to, to hear the buskers playing. And it was slightly different. You know, there was a difference between them. Um, but really good. It reminded me of this story that I'd heard um, a while ago. Two professional musicians, jazz musicians, came across a group of buskers and uh, they stopped and listened and at the end they applauded. And one of the professional musicians went and whispered in the trumpet player's ear, that was really great, but my friend says that you were playing the last song a little too slow. 
How would he know? asked the busker. Well, his name's Louis Armstrong, and you were playing his song. The next day, they passed the same group of buskers again, but there were two subtle differences. First difference, they were playing the song faster, better. And there was a sign in front of their collecting tin said, Pupils of Louis Armstrong. (laughs) Which is brilliant, isn't it? They were learning from the master. And we've been going through our vision series in the past weeks and months now, and we've been looking at discipleship. And discipleship means being pupils of the master, apprentices of Jesus, walking in the company of Jesus. And we've looked at various aspects of that. And today I want to look at the aspect of what church means for us. The plural of disciple, which is a phrase that we heard recently, Edward and I, is church. The plural of disciple is church. So I want to ask a question. Church, who needs it? Church, who needs it? I've, um, over the many years, had lots of conversations with Believers and non-believers as to why they don't do church, why they don't need church. Conversations like, well, yes, I am a Christian, but I don't do church. Three reasons. I don't want to, I don't need to, and I don't have to, which, you know, fair enough. And of course, they're right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Other people I meet say, well, I can meet God anywhere. In fact, I feel closer to God when I'm out walking my dog or my cat or the canary or whatever it is. that You don't walk those things, but you, you get the drift. Than I do when I go to church. For some, church somewhere along the line has been a bad, disappointing or hurtful experience. And maybe some of us are here this morning. For others, they were put off as children. As a church, Chipping Camden Baptist Church has an amazing legacy of heroes of faith. One of my heroes of faith is a lady called Alice Benfield, who, if those of you who remember her, she was an amazing, amazing woman. I was with her when she died in her bed, and she got her daughters around her. And one of the things, among many things that she said, and if you've got time, I'll tell you some of the amazing stories. But one of the things she said is she told her daughters, I want to apologize that the church was not what it should have been when you were growing up. Because they were brought up in Chipping Camden Baptist Church, but all of them left. And Alice said, I apologize, it was cold, uninviting, and not really about Jesus. It was about church. But that's not what it should be. And she said to them, church has changed. She was brilliant. Put off as a child. For others, it's just the hassle. The hassle of doing church, getting up, getting the kids ready. The arguments that you go through before I even get in here on a Sunday morning. And I'm talking about myself. 
Not now. When I was younger, what I put my parents through. There were four of us, four of us kids, every Sunday morning, my poor parents having to deal with all of us as we all came up with arguments why we shouldn't go, why we didn't want to go, why it was so boring when we went. I've been healed of that. And my favorite one, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, I guess, yes. And I probably am one of them. I don't always live up to what I profess. But I want to. I was always impressed with Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote his diary as if it recording an extraordinary event. I have come back from church today, and I am not depressed. (laughs) And I must admit, over the years, I've had sympathy with all of those things that people list. The irony is that the God in his wisdom and humor called me to be a leader within his church. But for all that, I believe passionately in Jesus. And if I believe passionately in Jesus, then I must believe passionately in his church, in his body here on earth. I believe passionately in the local expression of his church. When I first became a Christian, because I became a Christian within a liberal context of people who didn't believe in the resurrection physically of Jesus, who denied the workings and the power of the Holy Spirit, I had a real antagonism against church. I refused to become a member of the local church, saying I was a member of the church. I didn't have to become a member of the local church. And the Lord has had to humble me on that because he loves his church in all its frailties, in all its weaknesses. It is his new humanity, his new community of people who have set their hearts on mission, of people who have set their hearts on being like Jesus, being followers of Jesus Christ. So who needs the church? The world needs the church. The lost need the church. It's God's mission agency in the world. His rescue team sent out. Through the church, mission gets done. And God, in his wisdom, has chosen his church to carry his good news to the world. That's why I chose this reading from Ephesians, when Paul says God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The church is the living organism through which God has chosen to announce and demonstrate his salvation to the whole world, because the plural of disciple is church. It's also why Satan hates the church. If he can mess up church in any way possible, he will. If he can divide churches, he will. If he can cause people to fall within churches, he will try. Because he knows that if the church would wake up, he is done for. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, fantastic book by C.S. Lewis. 
church is God's mission agency in the world. And it's glimpsed now and again by a watching world, displayed on that vast canvas of church stretched across the centuries. Church is more significant win than we think. It's more costly and ultimately more rewarding than we imagine. If you are a Christian, God wants you in church because you are church. Sometimes we get the language all wrong, don't we? When I was growing I hate church, I hate going to church. And sometimes we talk about going to church. We don't go to church, not like a theatre or a cinema. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the church. It's who you are. You're part of the body. You are church. Now, I know over the years, church culture has changed. From the days of Alice Benfield, the church culture in this church has changed dramatically. But I've witnessed church culture change. You know, as I was taken to church as a, a young lad, I was taken three times a day. Anyone else had that ex wonderful experience? <laughs> Hooray! I was struck by a letter to the Hebrews. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. We've often joked, Edward and I, of having a special Sunday in the year here at Camden of everyone turn up Sunday. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Everybody turn up Sunday. Because we know that every, on any given Sunday, there are over 50 of our folk not here. It's amazing, isn't it? Over 50. I think there are a little few more this morning, actually. It's the end of the Easter holidays and everything like that. We understand that. That would be great. Everyone turn up Sunday. We wouldn't have the room. But we know that church is church every single day, Monday through Saturday, and then gathering together on a Sunday to worship. We're on mission every single day. You may not think you're an effective evangelist for Christ, but every day you're out on mission for Jesus Christ. So who needs the church? The world needs the church. The lost needs the church. And we need one another. We need each other. If we want to be effective followers of Jesus Christ, church is a must, not an optional extra. It's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they became a part of this amazing body, sharing life, sharing witness, sharing possessions. It was a vibrant picture of church. Amazing. There were young people, old people, male and female, Jew and Gentiles in those early days of the church, rich and poor alike, all together. There is something quite unique about the church. There's something unique about us. We have babies from year dot right through to some of our more mature members in their 90s. It's really rare to capture that in, in one people group because it's the uniqueness of being united in Christ. No barriers of gender, no barriers. Everybody welcome in this new society. It is amazing. And what they did together 
spilled over into their everyday lives. What we do together on a Sunday morning when we gather to worship God is just to give him praise and adore him together and encourage one another in that because it's really hard to do on your own. Really hard. I mean, sometimes I stick the worship tapes on and I'm worshiping on my own, but there's nothing like coming together and worshiping together. The church is the new counterculture. In the world, and more and more so will be in our own society in which we live. The church will be a counterculture, pointing to God's ways. We're a new society, a new humanity, a new community. I read about Justin Martyr, who lived in the second century. And he became a follower of Jesus after searching for truth in the philosophical systems of the day. And in a letter to the Roman emperor Antoninus Pius, he explains what happens when Christians meet on Sundays. He says, we meet on Sundays because that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We gather both from city and the country, near and far, to worship. The memoirs of the apostles are read. And so are the writings of the prophets. Then someone gives instruction to imitate these good things. Then we all rise together for prayer. Then we share bread and wine. And then we take an offering. Isn't that amazing? And I'm doing the order of service for this week. And I'm thinking 19 centuries later, it's almost identical. You know, Justin Martyr would feel really at home. In Chipping Camden Baptist Church. That's amazing, isn't it? Went through a bit of change in between the 19th centuries, but you know. They met to encounter God. And after the encounter to engage the world. And that's what we do. We gather to meet together, encounter God, and then go and engage in the world. Living as Christ's people in the world. Rowan Williams, who's the outgoing Archbishop of Canterbury. Normally when I listen to Rowan Williams, I listen and I have wide eyes. As things go whoosh. And I think that that must be really amazing because I don't understand it. But it's just me, I'm sure. But he described the church recently as God's pilot project for the human race. And I thought, I get that. God's pilot project for the human race. The church of Jesus Christ. God's blueprint for humanity, for community. This is what it should look like. Of people across all barriers coming together, loving each other and loving God. With everything that they have. It's what we were made for as human beings. It's our DNA as human beings. To worship God with everything we have and love one another with his creation. Now I know church doesn't always get it right. And I have to confess and I repent of the times when I have knocked the church Particularly in those early days when I was a new Christian and was so frustrated with the church. Yeah. But it's God's plan A. His church. 
made up of human beings who love Jesus to take the gospel to the whole world. And so here we are in the 21st century in Chipping Camden, sat here as God's mission agency. This is our time. This is the time God has given us. And we've seen amazing things. If Alice, well, I'm sure she looks down and and she marvels and wonders and gives praise to God. She's just amazing. But she didn't live in her own sort of earthly life to see the amazing things that she laid down in prayer. When she prayed for revival. But now we're seeing some of the fruit of it. And we're laying something down. We're not just living on the back of that and saying, isn't it wonderful? What God has done here. We're laying it down for whatever comes next. We are praying. That's why we're praying for revival. That's why it's stirring on M's heart, stirring on all of our hearts. Unless God breaks in, we're just going to not see anything. You know, we're going to be those who just keep the doors open. I don't want to be part of a church that just keeps the doors open. Or circles the wagons, you know. To see the church of God being what it really truly is, God's mission agency in this world. There was a theme of Spring Harvest years ago. They called it rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic or something like that, which obviously it's poignant for this uh, anniversary, 100 years of the Titanic. But they they were looking at the church and saying, all we're doing is rearranging the chairs. You know, some of the fastest, biggest churches, fastest growing churches in this nation are growing because other churches are emptying. That's not what we're here for. We're here to see the lost saved, the broken healed, those who are in bondage set free, not just to rearrange the chairs. Every day in your circle of friends, yeah, I know it's tough. But to be a witness for Jesus. And all we can do is say, this is what we have, what we are and what we have. We love Jesus. You know, I, I find it as difficult as anyone else, if not more difficult, of witnessing. Yesterday with the person who cut my hair, do you like my new haircut? You didn't notice, I know. But and I was talking about Alf and how brilliant it was and how many people have come to faith. And I was and I'd invited this person and and um, not a glimmer of interest. Just, a, that's nice. And I thought, do I go for it? Do I push it? Or will that offend? I, you know, and I, I backed away. I left the leaflet. Said it's really good. People have really had their lives changed on this course. Maybe it's not the right time. And I know some of you have had that frustration. You've invited friends and friends and friends, and they've never come. Some of you invited husbands and wives, and they've never come. Don't give up. Don't give up. There comes a day, a moment, that's the right moment. So don't give up. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep witnessing. The call of the gospel to live for Christ and to die for him. Just this week, hearing of incredible stories of Christians who have given their lives for the gospel. It always puts my week into perspective. Every time I think I'm having a bad day and the emails come through from Open Doors International saying how many have died for their faith this week. And how blessed I am. 
and how timid I am and how afraid I am at times. Same is true for the church. We're called to live for Christ and die for Christ. Going back to Alice, I was so blessed when I first came to this church when um, we talked about removing the pews and the organ and I went to see Alice and as soon as I stepped over the threshold of her door, she said, I know why you've come, Philip. And I said, yeah, we've got to take out the pews and the organ, Alice. And she said, it's our fault. We prayed for revival. Didn't think it would ever come with drums. But one thing you must do is get comfortable chairs, which we did. Then we moved to the school with uncomfortable chairs. Right? <laughs> I remember leaving Alice's house thinking, God can do anything in this church with an attitude like that. So many churches are full of people with an attitude that uh, as long as it's what I want, They don't allow God to break in. We don't want to be a church like that. We don't get everything always right. And certainly me as a leader, I don't get everything always right. But I want to see the lost saved. I want to see the church as a vibrant witness to Jesus. Maybe that's why God called me into leadership. You're so negative about the church, Phil, have a go yourself. See how hard it is. but I am actually, in the right sense, proud of this church. Whenever I go and talk about it, I just think what God has done. God has done among us. Let's remain open to God, all that he has. Everything that we do placed on the altar of mission. Nostalgia for the past, getting lost in the good old days, holding on to personal likes, dislikes. No, we put it all on the altar of mission. Being an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ demands a commitment to being the body of Christ. Commitment to the community of believers. It's God's master plan. So who needs church? Actually, the whole creation needs church. Jesus is church. Let's pray that God would revive his church in these days. Come to the AGM on Wednesday. Celebrate what God has done among us. Pray for the ongoing work of the church. Make a recommitment to being part of the body, of supporting one another, giving generously to all that we do. As Paul said in that message version, through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, the extraordinary plan of God is becoming known. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you and we bless you. We bless you for your church. And we pray that you would revive your church in these days. Because we know that when you revive your church, that people get saved. When your church gets on fire, people get saved. And so we pray that you would revive us, each one of us here. We pray, Lord, for our nations in these British Isles. We pray that you would revive your church again in towns and cities and villages and hamlets 
Lord, across our nations, please, will you pour out your spirit and revive your church. Raise up a group of people committed to being your rescue team in this world. Lord, where churches have lost their way, come bring them back. If some need to close to be reborn, if they need to die to live, then Lord, we trust you with that. Lord, we pray as we set our faces to being all that we can be in you. Help us as your church here in this place to not give up meeting together, but encouraging one another to live for you day in, day out. And then as we gather together on a Sunday by Sunday and other midweeks in our small groups and other activities, so many ministries, we thank you for all of them. But we pray, Lord, that you would use your church. May we bring glory to you in all that we are and all that we do as disciples of yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to sing a final song as we close our service.